Announcements. Make sure that you grab a bulletin and get all of those things that are in there. Uh, we want you to remember uh, Youth Group and Discovery Club, Tuesday, 6.30 to 8.30. Then also on Tuesday nights, Men's 33 Series, 6.45 in the Family Life Classroom. Remember that. And then this week, it's here. It's amazing. It's already here. Bible Exposition Conference, and that's March 15th through the 18th. And we're excited about that. Thursday and Friday mornings, we'll have morning sessions, and they'll kick off with breakfast at 8.30, from 8.30 to 9.30, having breakfast. And thank you so much for uh, doing that for us. And uh, Miss Nancy is cooking for us, and that's enough said right there, okay? She just does a great job, and we appreciate that, uh, helping us out with that. And uh, each evening, Thursday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, we'll have special services. The choir will open it up, and then we'll get right into the preaching. We're excited about that. WMU meeting will be Sunday, March 19th at 6 o'clock. Don't forget that. Fellowship Hall addition slash expansion meeting, Wednesday, March the 22nd, from 6 o'clock to 6.50. So just before the evening prayer meeting service on Wednesday night, March 22nd, we'll meet over in the fellowship hall. Kurt will have some things for us to discuss and to look at. And uh, he's smiling. Look at him back there. He's smiling. Look at him. Look at him. Anyway. But uh, 
He will. He'll have stuff. He's running that meeting, okay? So make sure you come, and we want to hear uh, input about the things that are going to be needed for that. So let's remember that. Uh, fellowship uh, meeting Saturday, March the 25th. That will be at Cornerstone Missionary Baptist with the executive meeting at 615. And if you notice back there, I wanted to just mention that real quick. The uh, Fellowship Campground purchased a tractor, and there's a flyer back there. It's a brand-new tractor, and if you would like to do any special giving to that, you can earmark it for the tractor that they purchased. And we're thankful for what the Lord is doing at the campground. Amazing camp meeting every year. Amen? And the Lord blesses in a great way. We're looking forward to a great summer again at the Fellowship uh, over at the campground, so don't forget about that. Paint night, Friday, March 31st, in the Fellowship Hall, 6 o'clock. So you can see Virginia Scape to sign up for that. And then church directory photos, you can start signing up for that. Don't forget that. All right, and also Al's Easter Luncheon, Sunday, April the 2nd. There'll be Al's Easter Luncheon in the Fellowship Hall following the morning service. If you would like to attend, there's a sign-up sheet at the information desk. All right. At this time, we'll have our ushers come for our Sunday evening tithes and offerings. And I want to mention one more thing. Deacons, you need to meet for just a few moments in my office after service this evening. So uh, make sure that you make that your way in there right after service for the deacons. All right. TJ, would you ask a blessing on the offering? Lord, I'd like to thank you again for the opportunity to be in your house, Lord. We thank you for the service we had this morning, Lord, and for your spirit meeting with us, Lord. We just... Uh, thank you, Lord, that uh, you're always uh, here to meet with us, Lord, and just uh, thank you for the message we heard, Lord. We pray you'd be in the service again tonight, Lord. Be with the pastor as he stands to preach, Lord. Just give him the words we would need for the hour. Lord, be with the choir as they sing, Lord. Pray for this offering, Lord. Bless the gift and the giver alike. In your name we pray. Amen. 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 It's 226. 
seated.
I've been looking back along this winding road to the old familiar markers of the mercies I have known. I know it may sound simple, but it's more than a cliche. There's no better way to tell you than to say God's been I've cried some bitter tears, but I felt his arms around me as I faced my greatest fears. I've had more gains than losses, and I know more joy than hurt as his grace rolls down upon me. But the best way I can say it is this, God's been
Amen. Did it seem like a long day to y'all? <laughs> I knew Barry would agree. No doubt whatsoever about that. Yes, uh, I was very impressed with the number this morning. Uh, made it out because of the fact that uh, it was a time change Sunday, and yet so many made it out to the service. Not quite so many made it out tonight, but uh, still a very nice uh, crowd, and I appreciate that. If you have your Bible, you can turn with me to the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter number 33, Isaiah chapter number 33, and good Lord willing, uh, we're just going to preach about half of this message tonight uh, and give everybody a little bit of a break, uh, and maybe by next Sunday, you'll be uh, fully in the routine of the uh, springing forward and having the light nights and all that good stuff. So uh, I, like the, I like the springtime uh, time. I like, I like the time we're on right this minute. I don't like changing over to it, but, uh, but I like this time. I like to have the sunlight uh, late in the evenings, and uh, I, I really appreciate that. That's always a lot of fun. And I like to have the long days and all of that. Uh, but it seems like we just, you know, get started with it and then wintertime comes back. So that's kind of the way it works. So if you have found Isaiah chapter number 33, we're going to begin reading in verse 20. We're going to read through the end of the chapter, just five verses, uh, verse 20 to 24 of the 33rd chapter of Isaiah. So if you'd stand with us, please, in honor of the reading of the word of God. Look upon Zion, the city of our solemnities. Thine eyes shall see Jerusalem, a quiet habitation, a tabernacle that shall not be taken down. Not one of the stakes thereof shall ever be removed, neither shall any of the cords thereof be broken. But there the glorious Lord will be unto us a place of broad rivers and streams, wherein shall go no galley with oars, neither shall gallant ship pass thereby. For the Lord is our judge, the Lord is our lawgiver, the Lord is our king, he will save us. The tacklings are loose, they could not well strengthen their mast, they could not spread the sail, then is the prey of a great spoil divided, the lame take the prey. And the inhabitant shall not say, I am sick. The people that dwell therein shall be forgiven their iniquity. Dear Lord, we pray you'd help us the understanding of the word of God. We thank you for it. We thank you for the word of God that was preached so powerfully this morning. And we pray that that message might stay uh, in our hearts and in our minds throughout this coming week. And then, dear Lord, this evening, as we take just a few moments, we pray that you might help us to take in the Word of God and apply it to our life, and Lord, uh, recognize the goodness of God in the life of the believer, for we know, Lord, that, uh, Lord, that you're watching over us, and Lord, that it is your tender care that keeps us truly, daily, you load us with benefits, and we thank you for it. We pray now that you might use us according to your will, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Okay, so I want us to take a look at something here. Um, uh, we need to take note of, a, of something. I, I actually had written a couple of things down, and then I did not include them in my notes, and I kind of wished I had. But when we take a look at the, 
uh, at the book of Isaiah, we recognize, and I'll put it this way. So it is the first of the major prophets. So uh, there is Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, and so on. But it is the first of the major prophets. And could I say that it is not placed in this position by accident? Isaiah is not where it is in the Bible uh, just by happenstance. There's a reason why we call Isaiah the first of the major prophets. And one of the reasons that we say uh, that Isaiah is the first of the major prophets is because we see more messianic prophecies in the book of Isaiah than we do in any other passage or any other book of the Old Testament. There's Now, uh, the book of Daniel is the perhaps uh, uh, the most prophetic of all of the books of the Old Testament as you look at it in its entirety and its scope and all of that. Uh, but there is, there is more messianic. When I say that, I'm talking about uh, prophecies that relate to Jesus Christ, the Savior, the Messiah. There's more prophecies concerning him in Isaiah than any other book of the Old Testament. And not only that, but by far, there's by far more uh, uh, messianic prophecies in Isaiah than any other book of the Old Testament. Now, that's not to say that that's the only reason uh, that uh, Isaiah is considered the first of the major prophets. There are other reasons as well. One is the fact that it's 66 chapters. It is a long book, uh, and it covers a lot of territory. There's also, uh, we talked about the scope uh, of uh, Daniel. Daniel uh, reaches from his time all the way to the time of the revelation that we are given, the prophecy of the literally the end of the world uh, is part of the prophecy uh, of Daniel. And we see a little bit of that in Isaiah. But the vast majority of the prophecies here are about Jesus Christ, his coming, his life, his death, and his resurrection. And that's, that's what we see so much of. But that's not all of the prophecies that are given to us in Isaiah. Uh, it, uh, there, there's prophecy in virtually every... <coughs> Thank you, Harry. I needed that. <laughs> there is prophecy in virtually every chapter in the book of Isaiah, and not all of them uh, are uh, prophecies about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, but many of them are. Now, this last few verses, these last five verses of chapter 33, gives us a messianic prophecy uh, as we reach the end of the book. But before he gives us this prophecy concerning Christ, he gives us a little bit different prophecy. As a matter of fact, he gives us a prophecy that's almost, almost hidden to us. It, is, it takes a little uh, understanding, it takes a little thought, it takes a little comparison of other scriptures to fully understand exactly what it is that Isaiah is saying to us uh, in the first three verses that we read, verses 20, 21, and 22, concerning uh, the uh, city of Jerusalem. And so tonight, rather than jumping headlong into the messianic prophecy that is here, and it is important, and uh, we may or may not look at it, I don't know. But rather than jump into that, we have looked at quite a few messianic prophecies already. And uh, we have seen the way in which 
Isaiah sees the Lord Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, last Sunday morning is one of the most beautiful prophecies of Christ. Uh, even though it's not one of the most uh, well-known and the one that it's not preached on quite as often as others, but it is one of the most beautiful prophecies of Christ uh, in all of the Bible anywhere. Uh, and uh, Isaiah puts it out so very, very well. Uh, so we've already looked at a number of those, and so tonight I want us to look at something a little bit different. Let's look at the first verses that we read, beginning in verse 20. He says, Look upon Zion, the, the city of our solemnities. Thine eyes shall see Jerusalem, a quiet habitation. A tabernacle that shall not be taken down, not one of the stakes thereof shall be removed, neither shall any of the cords thereof be broken. Well, let me just say a couple of things about what he's, uh, about the way he's picturing this here. He's giving us the idea, and you notice that, uh, let, me, let me just read a little bit of it again because I want you to get it. It says, a tabernacle that shall not be taken down. Uh, so we, we understand what the tabernacle was like because we know that they had the tabernacle in the wilderness and it moved from place to place. As a matter of fact, even when they went into the land of Canaan for a long time, they, uh, uh, the house of God was still the tabernacle. Uh, but he here, he is likening, likening the city of Jerusalem as a tabernacle that will not be destroyed. Notice how he puts it. It's, it's, it's very interesting. Uh, he says that it's the tabernacle that shall not be taken down, not one of the stakes thereof, now notice, shall ever be removed. Now if you look that up in the Hebrew, what that means is it not one of them shall ever be removed. It means exactly what it says. And by the way, when you're reading your English Bible and you think about the preachers that use a lot of Greek and Hebrew and all the rest, 90% of the time, whatever you're reading, if you looked it up in the Hebrew, that is exactly what it's going to say. As a matter of fact, if you look up the Greek, that's what it's going to say because it's a translation from the Greek and the Hebrew into English. So he's saying what... What it was saying before, he's only, he's only translating it into English. Makes sense? Amen? So don't get this idea that somehow, you know, uh, you, you got you to gotta really understand Greek. You got to really know Hebrew and, and all this kind of stuff. No, no. If, as long as you can read English, the Bible can be as meaningful to you as you will allow it to be. It's not an excuse to I would study the Bible, but I, you know, I don't know any of I don't know any Greek. Well, so what? Who cares? My grandfather had a sixth grade education, and he was one of the most powerful preachers and definitely one of the most powerful prayer warriors in the land. And he couldn't, I mean, Greek was Greek to him. He never even had one word of Greek. But he loved the word of God and he loved God and God revealed to him some glorious truth. So if you look that up, that's what it's going to say. It's, you know, so if you want to look it up in Hebrew, go right ahead. It's going to say what it says. Uh, as a matter of fact, all of this does. There, uh, I, I spent some time looking some of this stuff up just to find out that it means exactly what he says uh, in the King James Bible. Amen to that. But here I want you to notice what he says here. He says... Not one of the stakes thereof shall ever be removed. How many people in this room tonight have ever gone camping in a tent? 
You ever went camping? Oh, good, a lot of you, all right? So how many of you ever went camping in a tent and never had to fix a steak? Ne not once. You've never had to fix one steak when you went camping in a tent. Boy, you're a, you're, you're a good guy. You know how to put up a tent better than anybody else in the place. Let me tell you something. I've been camping in a tent before, and I spend you know, quite a bit of time uh, uh, fixing the steaks because they come out of the ground, right? So what he's saying is, is Jerusalem is like a tabernacle that cannot, cannot be removed. If you wonder where the Lord is coming when he comes back, he's coming to Mount Zion. He is coming to Jerusalem. It is a tabernacle. Now, why does he use the why does he use the imagery of a tabernacle? I do like this, okay? I do like this a lot. Okay? Because the tabernacle was the very first place where God dwelt with men. Amen? He said, I'm going to, I'm going to, he, he, yeah, he told Moses, he said, Moses, you're going to, you're going to build a tabernacle and, and when you build the tabernacle, I'm going to come down and dwell with men. As a matter of fact, when the Shekinah glory came upon the tabernacle for the first time, they, it was so magnificent. It was so majestic. It was so overwhelming that the Bible said they couldn't even go in it. They, they, they surrounded the tabernacle and they placed their hands and their faces on the pavement to worship God because his presence was so glorious in the tabernacle. When Jesus comes back, when Jesus comes back, He's not going to ride into Jerusalem on a lowly donkey. When Jesus comes back, he's not going to be just the servant of mankind. He's not going to be beaten with stripes. He's not going to be spat upon. He's, uh, uh, he's not coming back as the suffering servant. When Jesus comes back, he's coming back as the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's coming back as the king of kings. He's coming back as the glorious God of all creation. When Jesus comes back and comes back to Zion, he is coming to rule and reign forevermore. Isaiah says, when God comes to live with us again, when he comes to live with us again, you're never going to be able to destroy that tabernacle. He's going to dwell with men, and you're, not even one stake will come out of the ground. Not one cord will be broken. No, no. When he comes back, he is here, and we are going to worship him forever. Now, that, that's just... A, a little taste of the introduction here. Let, let, let's get into a couple of things that I really wanted us to see. He, he noted, notice what he says here. He said in verse 21, But there the glorious Lord shall be unto us, a place of broad rivers and streams. Now, in verse number 20, he said, he said something else about Jerusalem. Now, uh, Isaiah is looking forward to just about everything that he's talking about here as we discussed earlier. It's almost every bit of this is prophetic. It's in the future. Uh, but still, even in the time of Isaiah, uh, up until the, our present 
day, there's been very little time that Jerusalem has been a quiet place. Jerusalem is not a quiet place. It's not a quiet place today. <laughs> well, when we were there a few years ago and, uh, and, and walking the Via Della Rosa, I'm telling you what, Jerusalem is an exceedingly bustling city. I mean, it is not quiet by any stretch of the imagination. Not only is it not quiet in that regard, but even when we were there and it was supposed to be a time of, uh, of real peace uh, for uh, Israel at that specific time, I thought that was a nice time to visit it. But even then, they, they still had uh, one morning we got up and they were talking about the fact that uh, in the Gaza Strip they had taken quite a few uh, uh, you know, uh, mortar shells and, uh, and rockets that had come across uh, from, uh, uh, from where, uh, the Palestinian territory uh, in, into the Gaza Strip there. And they were talking about that. It was a discussion that they had. It's, it's a place that has uh, known war after war after war. It has been uh, inhabited by the Jews and then they've been expelled and then it's been inhabited by the Jews and then they've been expelled and then not, since 1948 they've been there uh, but there have been those who have tried to expel them so they've had constant battles and, uh, and constant war all around them and even at the times that we would say they're experiencing relative peace it still would be to us a very unpeaceful very warlike place but here Notice how he words it. Thine eyes shall see Jerusalem, a quiet habitation. There's gonna, when Jesus comes back, it's going to be peaceful in Zion. It's going to be peaceful in Jerusalem. It's going to be peaceful in Israel. I'm going to tell you, there's nobody going to raise a hand against the Savior. He is going to rule and give us the greatest of peace that we've ever known. Now, by the way, I'm planning to be here. Amen? If, if, if I die before the Lord comes back, uh, or if I go by way uh, of the rapture, it doesn't make any difference. When Jesus comes back to Jerusalem, I'm coming with him, one way or the other. Amen? I'm coming with him. Now, y'all remember, how many of you remember Dr. Gene Winfrey? Some of you might still remember him. Yeah, yeah, what a great preacher he was. Talked about uh, World War II when he preached up here and, uh, and a lot of other things too. But uh, Dr. Winfrey said, when I come back with Jesus, I'm coming back and I'm going to be riding one of them white horses. He said, I promise you that. And uh, my dad said to him, said, why do you think you're going to ride a white horse? He said, well, he's going to come back with a host of people riding white horses. He said, I might as well be riding one of them with the rest of them. Now, you got to remember, he was a rodeo rider, and <laughs> he was a serious cowboy from Oklahoma. Uh, but, uh, yeah, he said, when the Lord comes out, you know what? Dr. Winfrey took the word of God literally. He took it literally, and I do too. And I believe when the Lord Jesus comes back that Jerusalem is going to be a quiet habitation. You'll be able to sit, sit down and, and enjoy the scenery and meditate uh, on the blessings of God. But anyway, that, uh, that, that's just a little something. I wanted us to get to verse 21 where he says, But there the glorious Lord will be unto us. Now notice this, a place of broad rivers and streams, wherein shall go no galley with oars, neither shall gallant ship pass thereby. 
Now, now this is a very interesting verse. Some of you probably have already figured out why it's such an interesting verse, and some of you probably wouldn't have a clue uh, anyway, because you, you don't know anything about the geography of Israel or, uh, or Jerusalem or anything else. But I want you to know that uh, the, the vast majority of the eastern cities, especially in the earliest uh, times of civilization, they were always built on rivers, and rivers were the, were the primary uh, mode of transportation. Uh, and it was also near the rivers where they found the best soil to grow their crops. And so there was just so many reasons uh, why the cities were built right alongside the rivers. As a matter of fact, some cities... Uh, were built with a river going right through it. And by the way, if you go to Chicago, uh, you'll, you can, when you're going to cross these bridges over and over again. And the reason you're crossing the bridges is because the Chicago River runs right down through the middle of Chicago. And of course, if you go to New York, you're going to have the Hudson River, and uh, and uh, and there's so many places. And then there's uh, how many rivers in Philadelphia? Is at least two. How many? Somebody know for sure? How many rivers in Philadelphia? Two, I know of. Anyway, anyhow, they, they built them on the river. Not so with Jerusalem. Jeru there is no major river going through Jerusalem. As a matter of fact, even the Jordan River which is not a really big river. I've been there, and uh, I was kind of surprised uh, that it wasn't... I was expecting it to be like the Mississippi, you know. I was going to go down to the Jordan River, and it was going to be this great expanse. It's not that big a river, but it doesn't go through Jerusalem either. It goes to the east of Jerusalem, and it goes a, a relatively good way east. If you will remember, you would know that from reading your Bible, because you remember the Bible said they went out from Jerusalem to see John the Baptist and what was he doing? He was baptizing in the Jordan River and they had to go east of the city to get out there where he was. So there's no major river going through or even right beside Jerusalem. You've got to go some distance to get there. And yet he says here, now notice what he says. He said, but there the glorious Lord will be unto us a place of broad rivers and streams, wherein shall be no galley with oars, neither shall gallant ship pass thereby. Well, that sounds pretty interesting, doesn't it? Seems to me that he's talking as if there might be rivers and streams in Jerusalem at some point in time in the future. You say, well, I just don't know if that, that could happen. Well, if you're not sure about that, then turn over with me to the book of Zechariah and let's take a look at chapter number 14 of Zechariah and let's read just two verses, verse 8 and 9 of the 14th chapter of Zechariah. By the way, that's the next to the last book of the Old Testament if you're looking for it. Okay, Zechariah. Zechariah 14 and verse 8. And you remember I told you that the phrase in that day, uh, not always, but 
So often, and especially in books of prophecy, it's talking about the end of time, the, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the end, uh, either the time of the tribulation or the time just after the tribulation or the time of the coming of the Lord or the time of judgment. It's often referred to in that way. And here he's talking about the end of time, as it were, when we will come to live in Jerusalem and the Lord himself will be ruling there. And he says in verse 8, and it shall be in that day, now notice this, that living waters shall go out from Jerusalem, half of them toward the former sea and half toward the hinder sea. In summer and in winter shall it be. And I, I add this verse, I read this verse because the context is important here. And the Lord shall be what? King over all the earth. In that day shall there be one Lord and his name one. What did, the, what did Moses get from when he got the word of God in the beginning in the law of God? There's one God, one God in Israel, one God. This is what he's talking about here. One king, one God to rule over the earth, and his name is Jesus. He's the savior of the world. But notice what it says here. It says, in that day... Living waters shall go out from Jerusalem. Now, now, when we read that, he says half of them are going to go one way and half of them are going to go the other way. In other words, what he's saying is this Jerusalem is going to be in the midst of the river, in the middle of the river. And he's talking about the hinder sea and the former sea. What are those two seas? Well, the hinder sea is the Mediterranean and the former sea is the Dead Sea. Now, this is what's interesting to me. So according to the word of God, there's going to come a day when there's going to be a river from the Mediterranean Sea to the, dead, uh, to the uh, dead Sea, and it's going to go right through Jerusalem. Now, just so you know, I looked this up on the map to make sure, and there are many, many places where you could start in the, on the Mediterranean Sea, and there are several rivers that come out of the Mediterranean Sea. But if those rivers just kept continuing on, they would go. If you were to draw a line where one of those rivers is and take it to the Dead Sea, there's three or four that are going to go right through Jerusalem to get there. Isn't that an amazing thing? You know what else is an amazing thing? When we went to the Dead Sea... Uh, when we got there, uh, it, it is an amazing place. It really is. And it's a, it's a pretty big body of water. It's bigger than the Sea of Galilee, the Dead Sea is. Uh, considerably bigger than the Sea of Galilee. Uh, but it is only about half the size that it was 125 years ago. Because what makes the Dead Sea dead is there's no outlet. There's no place for the water to go out of the Dead Sea. Now, the Jordan River used to feed into the Dead Sea, and that's where uh, the water came into it at, but it had no way to get out. And because it had no way to get out, there was, there was a river coming into it, but there was no river to go out of it. And so, therefore, it just got saltier and saltier and saltier and saltier. Do you realize that the Dead Sea is at least 10 times saltier than the Pacific or the Atlantic or the Indian Ocean or, or any of the other oceans of the world? It's at least 10 times saltier than any of the other oceans in the world. But now the Jordan River has been diverted for the purpose of providing water 
for the for the huge population of people who have come to Jerusalem since 1948. <laughs> So, so here they are. There's this huge influx of people coming into Israel, coming into Jerusalem. And so there's not enough water to continually feed into the Dead Sea because they're using it all up in the city and in the, uh, and in the uh, uh, suburbs, the areas around about them for the people that are living there. So the Dead Sea is, they're saying, the Dead Sea is about to die. <laughs> kind of funny, don't you think? The Dead Sea is dying. Well, you would have thought it was already dead, but it's dying. But there's an interesting thing there because while we were over there, the guide was, when we went there, he was telling us about how the Dead Sea was smaller than it was before. Uh, but then he said, but don't worry, don't worry. There are plans to extend one of the rivers into the Dead Sea so that it won't die. Now, isn't that an amazing thing? Never been a river in Jerusalem. Never, never, ever in all of, the, all of human history. Not one time have we ever had a river that went through Jerusalem. And yet Zechariah says there's going to be one there. And Isaiah alludes to the fact that there's going to be one there. As a matter of fact, Isaiah's going to, he says there's going to be one there, but, this, but God's going to protect us. And even though there's a river that's big enough for a large ship to travel through, they won't ever make it here because God will stay them. He will protect us. If you look at it carefully, it says God will save us. So the idea there is that, yes, these ships could navigate this river. It will be big enough for them to navigate, but God won't allow it. He'll save us from it. Does that amaze you? It does me. And yet it doesn't. You know, can I say that? It is amazing to me, and yet it isn't. Why should I be amazed that God is going to fulfill his prophecy I know he's going to fulfill his prophecy. I guess I'm just amazed that the Lord let me be around long enough to see it just start. But let's go back to the book of Isaiah and we'll close here. Let's go back to the book of Isaiah where we were before in chapter number 33. And I want you to notice something here. Actually, oh, I'm sorry. Actually, I want us to be back in Zechariah. <laughs> and then we're going to go back to Isaiah. Notice what he says in verse number 8. And it shall be in that day. And notice what he says here. That... Living waters shall go out from Jerusalem. Living waters. Now, you know what I think? I think that has a double meaning. The first meaning is, I believe that, that as Jesus comes to dwell with men, I believe that the living waters of salvation are going to be experienced by all those around. And there will be true uh, uh, understanding of what salvation really means. Because right now I am being saved. But when Jesus comes back and, we, uh, and he sets up his throne in Jerusalem, then I shall forever be saved. I will not need to be being saved anymore. I'll be saved forever and ever and ever. It'll, it'll come to its fullness amen I'm not fully saved yet today you know how I know the reason I know I'm not fully saved today is because I have to ask forgiveness every day for things that I've done wrong amen you ever have to do that I guess we got such a holy crowd that y'all don't have to do that but I do I have to ask forgiveness and the reason I have to ask forgiveness is because even though that I'm saved and can't lose it 
I still battle sin every day and often fail. But when my salvation is complete, (laughs) when I am in a glorified body, when I have laid this body of mortality down to pick up a body of immortality, does that excite you? Laying down this frail, weak, uh, broken down body to lay it down and then pick up a glorified body that'll never, uh, that'll never have less strength than its strongest point that will always be able uh, to uh, uh, overcome uh, sin that will never uh, be tainted uh, by wickedness or evil thoughts. Does that excite me I don't know about you (laughs) yeah I'll be fully saved my salvation will be complete God will have saved us then but notice what he says here uh, in uh, in Zechariah he says that in that day living waters shall go out from Jerusalem so I don't think he's just talking about living waters in a symbolic or a spiritual sense I I believe he's talking about honest-to-goodness, real-live, living waters. (laughs) Now, this goes back to what I said earlier. If you want to know what living waters means, and you look it up, you're going to find out that in in the Hebrew, living waters means living waters actually actually the word living there uh, as it relates to waters it means fresh flowing water now I want you to think about that for a minute the literal translation of living waters means fresh flowing water and the Bible says that there's going to come a day there's going to be a river in Jerusalem and it's going to be big enough for ships to pass by on big ships to pass by in and out but God will completely and totally protect the city but the water in that river will be living water it will be fresh flowing water you know You know one of the reasons that they've been so careful about the Dead Sea is because they don't want the Dead Sea to become alive. They... One of the things that's slowing the whole process down right now, the reason they haven't already extended one of these rivers all the way in to the Dead Sea, and the reason they're still working on this is they don't want to overflow the Dead Sea with fresh water because they want all the salts and all the minerals. And they're making, I don't know if you're aware of this, but they're making hundreds of millions of dollars uh, off of the minerals and the salts that are found in the Dead Sea. And they They don't want that to go away. And they know that in time, in time, if they flood the dead sea, now listen to this, this is good, okay? This is good. So they know that if they flood the dead sea with living water, that it will not take very long at all until the dead sea will lose its saltiness And it will become a fresh water sea. I want you to think about that. It's a dead sea now. But when Jesus comes, 
and rules from Jerusalem, it's going to be a living sea. I was dead one day, dead in trespasses and sin. And one day, the living water came to me. And when the living water came to me, I, I lost my deadness. And I became alive unto Christ and alive unto the things of God. Let me tell you something. Don't you tell me that prophecy is not important. Don't you tell me it doesn't have application. I'm telling you, God knows what he's doing when he's writing his book. God knew what he was in, what he was going to say. And let me tell you, I want to hold on to this truth, not only for my sake, but for your sake and for the sake of others and for the sake of even eternity. I'm going to be there when the Dead Sea is not dead anymore. I've seen it in its deadness. We, it was cold that day, and we still got out and got in the water. It was nuts. Crazy. But anyway, got out in the water, and you don't sink. You don't sink. You just float right on the top. You can sit down on the water practically. It's crazy. Uh, I think Brother Ronnie Bearfield was. He was sitting on the water. Of course, I don't see how he didn't sink, but that's another story. <laughs> that's another story. <laughs> but, but the point is, it's a dead sea right now. But if you're born into the family of God, you've had the living water change you from death unto life, then you're going to be here to see the Dead Sea live again. See it live again. And by the way, you know somebody. They're dead in trespasses and sin. They might not ever see the Dead Sea here on earth before the Lord comes back, but you can introduce them to the living water. You can introduce them to the person of Jesus Christ. And if the living water floods their soul, they'll live again. They'll live again. Dear Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to bring the message. I thank you for its truth. I thank you for its reality. I thank you for its importance in our day and in our time. Lord, we want to look to you. We know that you are a tabernacle that cannot be removed. We know that you have the glory that is overwhelming to mankind. We know that we, in our present state, we cannot even look upon your glory and live. But Lord, we know one day we'll be translated into a glorified body. Lord, we'll be able to dwell in the tabernacle with Christ our Savior. We'll be able to enjoy all the majesty and the beauty and the glory. Lord, we know that because our souls have been imparted with living water, just like the woman at the well. Lord, we've received that living water. Lord, we know we'll be here one day when the Dead Sea lives again. Open our hearts, open our eyes, open our minds, open our lives to your truth. And may we share it, may we spread it, may we tell it. May we, may we, may we not be the least bit ashamed. Not, may we never be shy to speak the truth of God's love and His grace and His mercy. Speak to us, dear Lord, in this place. And if there's someone here tonight that needs to respond to this message, Lord, we pray they wouldn't put it off, they wouldn't wait, but this night, this very night, they would come to salvation in Thee. 
And if they're a Christian and Lord, they need to be strengthened. They need to be they need to be rededicated. They need to uh, 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 reassert themselves and in the things of Christ and the things of God. I pray that they would not wait nor put it off either, but they would come tonight and say, Lord, I wanna I wanna serve you. I want to be part of the family of God, but I want to serve in the kingdom too. I want to be a soldier in the army of Christ. We pray it all in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. Let's stand together. 106. 106. If the Lord is dealing with you. Keep the Father's love for us. How vast beyond all measure that he would give his only son to a wretch's treasure. How great the pain of searing loss. The Father turns his face away as wounds which mar the chosen one bring me sons to glory. Behold the man upon the cross, my sin upon his shoulders. Ashamed I hear my mocking voice call It was my sin that held him there Until it was accomplished His dying breath has brought me life I know that
His wounds have paid my 